My name is Luna Casey, and welcome to the New England Ghost Stories podcast. The New England area is full of tales of haunted locations, legendary creatures, and stories of the just plain weird. So, whether you're into ghosts, lake monsters, or strange lights in the night sky, we are your home for all things paranormal. During the mid-1800s, a new religion began to sweep through America. It was called the Spiritualist Movement. Simply put, Spiritualists believe we could communicate with those who have died. Spiritualists would hold meetings, giving lectures, or holding seances so people could speak to their dead loved ones. Often, the dead would communicate using knocks or on the walls or floors. America was drastically changing in the mid-1800s. As factories sprung up across the country, people moved into cities to be closer to work. There were new inventions and scientific discoveries. Immigrants brought different religious practices and beliefs. All this began transforming how people looked at the world around them. Then, from 1861 to 1865, the nation was plunged into a civil war. Prior to the Civil War, when someone died, they would be surrounded by family and friends. Wakes and funerals were held in homes, allowing people the chance to grieve together. It is estimated that 750,000 men died in the Civil War. That meant that hundreds of thousands of families were unable to be with their loved ones when they passed. Unable to have a proper funeral, they had no closure. Spiritualism gave people a chance to speak to their loved ones one last time, or hear that their loved ones were at peace. Spiritualists offered grieving people solace while coping with their loss. And part of the spiritualist movement were the Eddy brothers of Chittenden, Vermont. William and Horatio Eddy were born and raised on a farm owned by their father, Zephaniah. Zephaniah and his wife, Julia, had many children. But, as was common for the time, not all of them lived to adulthood. Of their children, three stand out, William, Horatio, and their sister, Mary. The Eddies were descended from a long line of psychics. Mary Bradbury, a distant relative, was convicted of witchcraft in Salem in 1692 and only escaped by the help of her friends. Their grandmother often went into trances and spoke to entities that no one else saw. Their mother, Julia, was known for scaring neighbors with predictions and visions. But her puritanical husband, Zephaniah, believed this type of phenomena was the work of the devil. So she learned to hide her gifts from the cruel and abusive man. 
when the couple had children, activity only increased. Strange poundings and knockings could be heard throughout the house. They heard disembodied voices in empty rooms. Allegedly, babies vanished from their cribs, only to be discovered in another room of the house or outside on the grounds. As William and Horatio grew older, their paranormal powers strengthened. They also were said to play with ghostly children who vanished when other people would draw near. They often went into trances or spoke in spirits' voices. The boys couldn't attend school because strange events seemed to follow them. Books, rulers, and other school supplies would fly across the room, and desks would levitate. All of this, of course, infuriated Zephaniah, who did whatever he could to beat the demons out of them. Legend has it that on the advice of a Christian friend, he poured boiling water on them. When this didn't work, he allowed this friend to drop a hot coal on William's hand while he was in a trance, as a way to exercise his devils. The boy never awakened from the trance, but he bore a scar on his palm for the rest of his life. Tired of trying to beat the demons out of them, Zephaniah sold them to a traveling showman, who took them all over America, Canada, and Europe. But they were treated no better here than they were at home. For the next 14 years, the Eddies were locked into small wooden boxes to see if they could escape. Hot wax was poured into their mouths to see if they could produce spirit voices when they were unable to talk. Audience members were challenged to try to awaken the boys from their trances as part of their performance. They poked, prodded, and punched the entranced brothers, but they never woke up. On several occasions, they were stoned and shot at by angry crowds. This treatment left them scarred and damaged for the rest of their lives. Reportedly, William Eddy bore a number of bullet scars on his body. Finally, when Zephaniah died, the now adult William and Horatio moved back to the farm with their sister Mary. They opened the house as an inn called the Green Tavern. The brothers began to hold seances in a second-floor hall that they called the Circle Room. The Circle Room had rows of wooden benches for the audience members to sit on. At one end of the room, there was a platform or stage with a small cabinet. Six nights a week, the brothers would invite visitors to the seance in the Circle Room. The room was illuminated by a single kerosene lamp. William, the primary medium, got on the platform and entered the small cabinet. Soft voices whispered in the distance. There might be singing, accompanied by spectral music. Musical instruments came to life and soared above the heads of the audience members. Disembodied hands appeared waving and touching the spectators, and odd lights appeared and 
unexplained noises filled the air. Then the first spirit form emerged from the cabinet. Some appeared one at a time, others came in groups, numbering as many as twenty or thirty in an evening. Some were completely visible and seemed solid, while others were transparent and ethereal. The spirits ranged in size from over six feet tall to very small. Whether real or not, from their years in the sideshow, the brothers had learned how to put a show together, and the spectators were thrilled. They were, after all, friends with famed illusionist Harry Houdini. By the early 1870s, Chittenden, Vermont, had become a popular pilgrimage site for those interested in connecting with deceased relatives and friends. People came from all over the world to attend seances at the Eddy House. By 1874, spiritualists began calling Chittenden the spiritual capital of the universe. Of course, not everyone was convinced that the Eddy seances were real. A June 29th 1874 article in the Rutland Herald pronounced the Eddy manifestations the vilest deception upon whoever they can get to pay 50 cents for being duped. While many people came to the Eddies who believed in their abilities, some also came to see if they could spot how they faked it. The most notable was respected attorney Henry Steele Alcott. Alcott was born in New Jersey in 1832 and studied agricultural science in New York City. He went on to become the farm editor of the New York Tribune. Then, during the Civil War, Alcott enlisted in the Union Army. He was appointed as a special investigator to root out corruption and fraud in military arsenals and shipyards. He attained the rank of colonel and, after the war, was part of a three-person panel that investigated the assassination of President Lincoln. After the war, Alcott studied law and became a successful attorney. Colonel Alcott had no interest in the paranormal before he read about the brothers in a newspaper article. He was skeptical, but knew that if the stories were true, they were important in physical science. So, Alcott traveled to Vermont, bringing newspaper artist Alfred Capps with him. They planned to investigate the weird events in the Eddy farmhouse and either expose them as a hoax or confirm the validity of spiritualism. Alcott's first impression was that the brothers were belligerent and unfriendly. He attended an outdoor seance with a group of 10 participants. The seance was held in front of Honto's Cave, a natural cave formed by two large stones that had collapsed on one another, forming a large arch. The cave was named in honor of the Native American spirit who often appeared there. Horatio Eddy acted as the medium for this seance. 
he sat on a camp stool under the arch and then was draped in a makeshift spirit cabinet formed by shawls and branches that had been cut from small saplings. As Horatio rested there, a giant man, dressed in Native American garb, emerged from the darkness of the cave. While the medium spoke to the spirit, someone cried out and pointed up towards the top of the cave. Standing there, silhouetted against the moon, was another gigantic Native American. Then a female specter appeared on a nearby ledge. In all, ten such figures appeared during the seance. The last to emerge from Horatio's cabinet was the spirit of William White, the late editor of a spiritualist newspaper. He was dressed in a black suit and white shirt, and was recognized by some who had read the newspaper. He vanished at the same time the others did. Moments later, Horatio appeared from the cabinet and signaled that the seance was at an end. After the seance was over, Alcott and Caps carefully searched the cave and the surrounding area for footprints. They found no trace that anyone had been there, nor did they find another exit at the back of the rocks. There was only one way in and one way out. Alcott found the seance convincing, but he really wanted to investigate the circle room on the second floor of the farmhouse. He and Caps carefully examined the large seance room. Alcott drew maps, charts, and diagrams, and took numerous measurements. He was sure he would find false panels, secret doors, or hidden passages. He found none of those. He convinced the newspaper to hire carpenters and engineers to examine the house. They also found nothing unusual. Alcott and Caps also examined the spirit cabinet and platform. They found no trapdoors or hidden passages here either. There was no room in the cabinet for anyone other than the medium. Alcott was familiar with the work of stage magicians and fake mediums, but couldn't find any of their trickery in the Eddy house. Although Alcott felt that some of the alleged phenomena might be fake, he couldn't disprove it. Alcott was very perplexed about what he saw at the Eddy house. The apparitions not only appeared, they sang and chatted with the visitors. They also produced spirit articles like musical instruments, clothing, and scarfs. There were knockings, moving physical objects, spirit paintings, automatic writing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, healings, unseen voices, levitation, remote visions, and tel teleportation. Alcott observed more than 400 physical manifestations during the two weeks he visited the house. The spirit forms included Native Americans, children's, and deceased businessmen, Chinese, Russians, and Africans, often speaking in other languages. 
how is this possible when the eddies could barely read and write, and were scarcely capable of speaking coherent English? He concluded that to put on a show like that, night after night, would have required an entire company of actors and several trunks of costumes. Yet Alcott's inspection of the premises revealed no place to hide either actors or props. Not to mention that an elaborate show would have cost a fortune to produce each night. This would have been impossible given that the brothers were almost penniless. In Alcott's mind, fraud would have been physically and financially impossible. In the end, he was convinced that the two men could actually speak to the dead. Alcott documented his experiences through a series of articles in the newspaper, which later became a book, People from Other Worlds. The book contains meticulous drawings of the apparitions, the grounds, the house, and blueprints of its construction that proved there were no hidden passages. He collected hundreds of affidavits and testimonies to the events and reproduced dozens of statements from restricted, respected tradesmen and carpenters who examined the house for trickery. Eventually, William Eddy stopped doing the seances, and one of his sisters, Mary Eddy Huntoon, took over for him, but her performances were far less convincing. Bickering between the brothers and Mary drove them apart. Horatio moved to a house across the road, where he took up light gardening, occasional seances, and doing magic tricks for local children until his death on September 8, 1922. Mary moved to a nearby village of East Pittsford, where she became a full-time professional medium. William dropped out of public life altogether and became a bitter recluse on the family farm. He never married and refused to ever participate in spiritualism again. He died on October 25, 1932, at the age of 99. The former Eddie House is now home to the High Life Ski Club Lodge and most people today may suspect that even though the Eddies seem to have psychic abilities, some of what they presented in their seances was faked. But genuine or faked, something amazing and mysterious occurred in Chittenden in 1874. Thank you for listening to the New England Ghost Stories podcast. New episodes are added every other Friday. New England Ghost Stories is written and produced by L.B. Kirkwood. Music by Vyacheslav Dragunov. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find the New England Ghost Stories podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or at your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review. And if you have a story that you'd like to see covered in an upcoming podcast, you can leave a comment on our website at newenglandghoststories.com or on our Facebook page at New England Ghost Stories. We'd love to hear from you. 
Until next time, this is Luna Casey.